Hey, Tony Duchesne here from Drinks with Tony. You're about to listen to episode 86. My guest is Adam Gennady. I became a fan of his when I read the book, The Do-It-Yourself Guide to the Big Motherfucking Sad. And I feel like kind of as a human collective, we may need this book right now. It could, uh, I don't know, shift the energy a bit. So I'm really glad I got to talk to Adam and I'm really stoked that you're going to be able to listen to this show. Hopefully Hopefully you'll dig the book. What do you get? Hey, this is Adam Yanati, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Adam Gennady. He is the author of This is the End of Something, But It's Not the End of You, and The Do-It-Yourself Guide to Fighting the Big Motherfucking Sad. Adam, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm I'm coping. I feel <laughs> I feel like I feel like I've been fighting the big motherfucking sad for decades, and then now we're in this like new situation of um, you know, now you need to be alone with your thoughts and quarantine yourself, and the big motherfucking sad is bigger. But I read your book, dude. Your book is like a your book is out like a um, it, it's like I open to any page and I feel relief. So I just need to say thank you. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that, I, how, how did you come up with writing um, that book? What, what was, what was, what was the, um, what was the moment where you're like, you know what? I got to put this out. Well, the book's been out for a while. I think it came out in 2013 maybe. And it's been through a ton of printings and it just keeps going. It Weirdly like, but most books generally don't, <laughs> but yeah, back in, I guess probably 2010, 2011, 2012, the years leading up to that, I was going through a lot of shit, bad stuff. Um, and a lot of my friends were, and I kind of wrote these things as pep talks to the people that, that were in my life and kind of to myself, I wrote, I wrote them on, I put them on the internet on Tumblr, which I don't think anybody uses Tumblr anymore. It was pretty good while it lasted. Um, and it got a lot of response and I kept writing them and wrote a few every month and then just thought I'd throw it together as a zine and it came out as a zine first. And then the zine just sold like way too many copies to make copies of. So it got turned into a book by Pioneers Press in 2013 and it just keep it just keeps going. So it wasn't ever really intended to be anything except sort of ways for myself to get out of the the stuff that I was dealing with and, and, and pep talks for my friends. It's, I was always, I'd always written fiction. So I wasn't, I never intended to write nonfiction. It's, it's really, I, I, this is so strange to me, but what sticks with like the audience or the people out there, you know, where it's just like, sometimes it's the thing that feels like it wasn't hard work to do. And then it gets out there and then you're like, wait, you guys are gravitating to that. Look at the things I've put work into. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know if you have that or not. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know exactly how that is. I mean, this book is kind of a fluke. I didn't think that anybody would really care about it, but it does a lot better than the books that I really spend all my time on. Yeah. At least to this point so far. I've, and it's just I've kind of accepted it. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of it or anything. It's not like I'm, it's not an embarrassing part of my catalog. If it were, that would be horrible. Yeah. I feel like an awful one hit wonder with an embarrassing pop song on the radio when you're like, but actually I'm in a punk band. 
<laughs> you know. Well, um, there's got it. I mean, as you're coming up with, um, and, and I just I, I want to talk about this. You know, your 2013 release, just because it, it affects me and other people that are friends of mine. Where I'm just like, you need to read this book. I think this is a big word of mouth. Like, oh my God, this helped me. Let me get you a copy of Adam's book. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, where where does the pep talk come from? Like, how were you grow? Were you growing up and trying to find ways to um, to shift your own like narrative of your life um or, or did you just have the most amazing parents who like instilled this in you this i don't really know how all this came about it didn't come from reading because i mostly only read fiction i read history and fiction i don't really i've never read a self-help book or i have no interest in reading about depression or anxiety or anything like that so like, i think it just came from being alone a lot and thinking about what I was going through. And when I finally moved, when I moved to the country, I was alone a lot. So that's when it really, it, the, the things really started to come out when, you know, you're out in the fields for a long period of time by yourself, you start to delve deep into places that you may have not gone. Were you living back in Portland or San Diego or where I'd, where I'd been before, where you're around friends and neighbors and roommates and all that stuff. It's a, it's almost like, uh, it's like what we're in now, the quarantine, we're kind of inside our own heads. I guess it's almost like meditation too. You start meditation and then everyone thinks it's like, oh, you're going to be happy if you meditate, but actually you, you gotta, um, you have to start confronting yourself on, uh, on how you're thinking and adjusting things. I guess that's how it works for me. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know really know much about meditation, but it, introspective thinking and, and being alone and like really going into your thoughts. It's not going to, I don't know if it's going to make you happy maybe in the long run it will, but it definitely opens up caves and, and little spots in the dungeon that you didn't think you were going to look into. Or you find goblins behind the door where you thought there'd be a bathroom or a bedroom. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I thought I'd find a milkshake. <laughs> There's an arrow in my heart. <laughs> Uh, and, and what what was what why did you decide to move to the country because I mean you're 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 in the music scene and you know Portland and San Diego are good places you know so-called good places to be to be in the mix of that and then what was it like you know what let's forget about it let's let's go let's go somewhere where I can tend the field right right yeah I mean Portland and San Diego are both great places and I miss them a lot and visit but I've always wanted to live with with land in land have have a, like, a lot of land around me and space from neighbors and as much as i'd like to do that on the west coast i just can't afford it yeah maybe someday but it's land rural land in san diego is just uh, you have to be a, a a billionaire to do it but in the midwest I, I came out here to visit and i was like well i could i could live out here in a beautiful plot of land and not have to have a day job because the rent's cheap and it could kind of live the way that I've always wanted to live. And that was basically as simple as that. I came out here and I was like, I'm going to find a place. I had, I came out here with two, two friends and we, uh, we found a little farm and it's been 10 years. Oh, so you, uh, so you actually did bring a couple people with you. Um, yeah. and then what was it like kind of, you know, developing a community of sorts moving out into, you know, the middle of nowhere. Cause there's, I mean, there's still got to be a good cafe and a, 
for me, I, I always need a cafe. I don't know why. And it's probably because I don't have a lot of land. But I need to know I can go to a cafe and sit there and read. It's just, it, it's a paramount. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple good cities around here. They're about 40 minutes away. The Kansas City's out here. Okay. And it's, uh, I didn't really like Kansas City when I first moved out here. It just didn't click after being in all these great cities that I lived in. And, but it's gotten a lot better, and it's just been expanding. And it's a, it's a great town now. And then Lawrence, Kansas is about 40 minutes away also, and that's that's wonderful. So I you know, really need a fix of like going to a, like a nice cocktail bar or go to see a show or go to the movies. All that stuff's out there. It's just it's a drive. And Lawrence is I uh, my ex one of my ex girlfriends grew up in Lawrence, and um, I I've, she was telling me stories about it. I'm like oh my god that'd be a fun place to live I never visited but Lawrence seems really cool and can and Kansas City coming up too huh that's yeah yeah so Lawrence is really small it's like a few blocks in Portland like cut out of Portland or something like that but it's like the people there are working really hard to make it a great town there's they're really active. Like we've got to do this. We've got to, we've got to set up shows and we have to have like a, a group throwing all ages events. And there's, there's great shops and um, there's a big like print art scene and Kansas city is the same way, but it's Kansas city is definitely a bigger town, but there's, there's a new independent bookstore there called Waz blood that does readings and uh, it's great record stores. So they're all like, they're all kind of surging forward. Both of those, both of those areas. I love that because it's something that, you know, um, I take for granted living in a city. So even taking it for granted and just going, oh, that's there. I feel like I don't have to do as much contribution to that. But if I was forced to be really contributing to it, I feel like that would, that would feel like a stronger community to me because we would all be like, okay, let's all put ha all hands on deck so we can get an independent bookstore on the street and then we can get authors to come in somehow. Yeah, I've, I've kind of felt that way when I was living in Portland. I got to the point where I was doing a lot of stuff, but I sort of thought, like, Portland doesn't really need me. You know, there's, a, like, this, these smaller towns, they might, I mean, I'm not really engaged with the communities out here. I spent a lot of time by myself, but I try to get out to both of those places and do events, and, and I've got a few friends out there. Yeah, I was going to, because I was going to try to snap you up uh, for in person when you were coming to San Diego for uh, reading your new novel. And, uh, and then here we are, shelter in, <laughs> shelter in place. Yeah, I, I mean, I also like one of the reasons for moving out to the country was like I could tour more. And I obviously can't do that right now, but, but it's, it's really worked out for the last, you know, decade of, of being able to have more resources set aside where I can t go on tour for longer or leave the country and do a do a UK tour or something like that. And that's that's really paid off. So I've been I'm actually back in California all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, until now. Right. I'm supposed to be on tour um next in like three weeks. Is that for uh, California, but it's not, you know, it's not gonna be happening. Right. That and that's for your band. No, it's, I mean, well I don't really have a band. I kind of just I have like record I have writing recorded and I'll play music behind it sometimes when I'm doing readings or I'll have friends that are in bands, uh, like be my band for like, for backing my reading up. I don't really, I don't really consider it a band or anything or myself a musician in any sense, but mm -hmm. that, that, yeah, that was, there was a, there's a seven inch that's coming out in a month and a band called Tulpa Luna and I were going to go out and we're, it's like some of my writing and then their music and we were going to do 
West Coast dates. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of sad. I hope it'll get rescheduled. You know, everybody's in the same boat where you're like, well, you know, hopefully this time next year we'll all be doing our thing again. Yeah. And then there's a small part of me that goes, what if, what if every live concert I've ever been to in my life for every band, every gig, what if those were the last? I know. I don't want to say it. I gave you the chills right there. That felt bad. <laughs> I know it's freaking me out. It's, <laughs> it's a little point in my brain going. Am I going to have to tell people that are young and go? Oh, you know, that's when I used to stage dive. But you know, I don't do it anymore because I'll break a hip. But at the time, you know, it's, I used to be able to jump on crowds and we'd all be having a blast. And it's uh, yeah. I hope we can go back to that. Uh, I, you know what? I'm sinking into the big motherfucking sad. And I <laughs> <laughs> what was the last concert that you went to? What was the last show you went to then? Maybe, um, oh, I was going to see Slim Cessna's Auto Club uh, at the Echo. And, but the fire marshal shut it down. Uh, and shut it down for like three hours. And I just finally left. And they started letting people in. I'm like, I'm not staying until 2 a.m. to... to um, I don't know. I don't know if it was Red Cross or Melvin's or just something like that where um, in San Francisco, I used to do, uh, I used to write for uh, San Francisco Chronicle and did uh, local music coverage and also had a radio show. So I had bands on my radio show all the time. So in San Francisco, I was out three nights a week seeing bands. And then I come to LA and uh, they, they look at me and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, that's right. I'm nobody. I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice to be absolutely nobody. And then, so going to shows kind of tapered off where I was going three nights a week and now it'd be like, I might go, you know, see 10 shows a year and that would be a, a feat. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> Midlife crisis. <laughs> I've kind of in the same boat because uh, I used to do journalism, but before, like I started, before I started getting books published and uh, when I lived in Portland, I was the music editor of the Mercury, Portland oh, Mercury. Cool. And yeah. so I was out like all the time. And then in Kansas, I mean, there's, we have shows, but sometimes you don't hear about them. There's no weekly papers out here so you, anymore. So it's kind of hard to hear what's going on. So you miss a lot. And yeah, like same, I, I'll probably, I, I'd love to go see more live music, but I, I hardly ever because I just don't know what's going on and I'm 40 minutes away from everything. Yeah, I, went, I had tickets to um, Einstein Neubauten, the... I had tickets to their LA show, San Francisco show, and Boston show. I was gonna go see. I was going to see three, uh, three of the you know because they haven't toured the states in over a decade. Yeah, I'm gonna see these guys, and so now I'm getting refunds for you know slowly getting refunds for the canceled tour. I was just like, I just you know the last time they tried to tour, I think they had visa issues, and they they were like, okay, fuck it, we're not doing America. And I was just like, oh, so anyway. It, but they're still doing um, their Europe, I think, leg of the tour so far. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, maybe I can travel, you know, there and go see them and hit a gig. But it's brutal, man. I don't like getting refunds. I want to see the shows. <laughs> so, um, wait, are you, how, as a writer, do, do you write every day? Or what, what's your, what, what's your uh, process? Um, most, most of the time, yeah. I, I always have a book going, so... Um, Usually I'm, I'm either writing or editing the book. I, I write, I, I write fast and then I kind of edit over the course of a long period of time. So, so you so right it? now I'm finishing up a book and then 
but I'm in, I'm just in the deep edit stage of finishing it up. Cool. Do, I, I, do you handwrite your first drafts? Yeah. You know why I you know why I asked that? Cause when you were saying, well, I write the first draft really, and you, and you moved your hand. Oh yeah. And, but I handwrite, I handwrite almost all my first drafts too. Even if it's articles, it's always handwritten. And then I type it in. And, um, and I don't know, I don't know why I have to do it that way, but I know I have, I know that the pen has to be on paper for some odd reason. And I also think I need to know that I don't need a machine that costs a thousand dollars to put my thoughts down. I just need about a $3 investment and yellow legal pads. Just <laughs> that's it. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I think part of mine comes from having just really crappy computers all my life and having them die on me and like you forget to save something you lose a day's work or whatever and the a pad and a pen feels safer yeah it's i mean it's you can you can save things and all that stuff but i'm just you know just got I'm paranoid of losing stuff yeah and it's more satisfying i don't know i don't know i don't know what it is i think like it makes you slow down a little bit slow I, down and think about what you're doing yeah i also think that um it's something with uh, our brain doing something that's kind of tactical. Uh, it, it will get a bit, I get a little hippie on this stuff, but I feel like we'll get a better connection from the brain to the page. Um, if it's, if we're doing, if we're doing it with our physical hand instead of on a typing apparatus. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but it's just it's something where if I'm doing it on the, on a computer, it, it just feels less, uh, I feel less in touch with it. Maybe it feels less personal because we're typing emails on computers and we're typing tweets. And it's just like, I don't want to, you know, it's like, I don't want to put dirty on you. I'm working, I'm going to work over here. So, so you don't have to be associated with all that, you know, that stuff. Yeah. Maybe it feels more like business than what it should feel like. Yeah. But then we've been writing with our hands for a long time, a lot longer than we've been typing. Yeah. typewriters or computers or phones it might just be part of i mean i don't know how these things work but it might just be part of like in in our in our fiber somewhere the like the yeah just like the evolutionary process of storytelling where it's, you know in in the beginning it's oral and then figure out how to write it uh, to convey you know it's conveyed a different way um, yeah yeah definitely i mean i started out before i had books with with doing recorded audio um, writing that's kind of where i mean when from when i was a teenager i've been doing that since i was a teenager and that always felt really natural to me because it seems like it seems like something you'd be doing around a fireplace ten thousand years ago thirty thousand years ago 200 years ago it feels natural i've never really like made music in the sense of like being a singer or an advantage or something like that but 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 audio like telling stories with music backing always felt like a very like instinctual thing to me yeah a, a, a friend of mine i know he's in a band called enablers and he also they used to be in san francisco and he's in um he's in new york now and uh oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna blow his name i don't want to say it out loud but but they but it's a storytelling with kind of a orchestra you know noise orchestration behind it and it's just it's always so compelling to um I, I love the I love that the the what you know essentially the stuff I've listened to you too on Bandcamp where it's just like the I love that the, the narration. 
Yeah, and it's kind of hard to explain to people because people aren't really used to that type of thing. So a lot of people will be like, well, what kind of music do you make? And usually I'll tell them, like, well, you're not going to like it. <laughs> or if they, like, if they push farther, I'll be like, well, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, like movie soundtracks, like narration over movie soundtracks. Because it's, sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their heads around and be like, so there's, you're like reading, writing out loud, but you're like playing music behind it. Like, it's just, it, I mean, you meet people that are like, in, come from a more like an experimental music scene, like a lot of our friends do. Um, and they get it because it's like, they've seen weirder, weirder stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, so it's then, not that strange when you are like when you've like grown up, grown up listening to noise or like grindcore or hardcore or anything like that. Yeah, a few of my friend, um, a few of my friends back from the late '90s moved up to Portland. Um, Eric did a project called Sleeping with the Earth, and um, they were like they were on uh, you know the noise labels, and I had a noise project myself, and it was so much fun. I I miss that time of just like tinkering and then showing up doing live recordings with like cassette tapes mixed into a mixer and just you know assaulting trying to assault people that thing yeah. in your 20s where you have to be you have to feel like you have to be I, this was me i had to be like combative and fight it all and it's just like in the end i was fighting myself i know i was just fighting myself <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if uh like i, I mean you you've been at this a long time and it's it's what you've done is actually and you you talk about it in the uh, big motherfucking sad is you've created the life that you wanted to live which I, um which I think is and I hate I hate most TED talks but it, it's every TED talk smashed into like you know it, without the it's a TED talk without the smug I'm an influencer and smug I know this more than you it's more. <laughs> I hate those, and I read yours, and I'm like, "Oh, this is authenticity." So, yeah, it's like I guess it's like a TED talk without like the shiny blazer and the cordless microphone attached to your ear. <laughs> I, I haven't really watched too many TED talks. I'm sure there's some really great stuff out there. It's just, yeah, I'm but, sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking smack on TED talks at all. But yeah, but it's, yeah, that's not where I come from. Hey. If they'll have me, I'll be on in a second. And I'll, I'll okay. even buy my own little microphone piece. I'll be like, do you need me to get my own or do you offer them? <laughs> yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and then uh, I mean, and, and, and then when, you, when you're talking about um, living on a farm, I mean, are you working on vegetables? Do you have, do you have livestock? What's, what's your life like on um, where, where you're at? So uh, we grow a lot of vegetables. It's it's not for sale or anything. It's just you know to to feed ourselves and then any anybody that needs it. Like so, we give we give away a lot of produce if we can mm -hmm. uh, to friends and people around the area. And then we have there's kind of a little farming community here. So uh, old farm everybody's like 80, 90 years old. They'll come by and they'll bring you a basket of squash and you'll give them some tomatoes or something like that. Uh, we have a couple animals. They're they're rescues. Rescues. We've got a couple goats, a sheep, a um, bunch of chickens, dogs, cats. We've had animals that have come and gone over the years. You take them in, adopt them out. We are not like a rescue farm or anything like that, but we've definitely for a while we were like taking in a lot of animals and finding homes for them. Yeah, that's got to be fun. And so do you do you like get your your milk from your goats or? I mean, essentially you're sustaining yourself without paying money for the most part. It's all a lot of, uh, 
giving and trading. Yeah, we could, we could, we could live completely off the food that, that we grow. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be a problem at all. And I've, I've done that before. It gets, it gets really boring mm-hmm. because then you're like, man, I really just want, you know, an avocado or I really, you know, like I need a bag of Doritos or something like that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's, it's totally possible to do it, but like, I'm not like a, I'm not like a prepper or, or somebody that's like trying to live off the grid or anything like that. That's not like, that's not, I don't have time for that. Writing is the thing that takes up all my time. It'd be cool to do that. It's just like, that's a lot of work and that's a lot of stress. And Yeah. It's also kind of good to know though, that you have that in your back pocket just in case everything goes to shit. Yeah. I mean, especially now when, well, like earlier on in this virus, when we were like, well, damn, like the, the grocery stores are getting worse and worse. And like, who knows if we'll even be allowed to leave the house and, like, yeah. you know, we don't, and at this point, we still don't really know how bad it's going to get, but having, having vegetables, uh, is pretty reassuring. Yeah. Do you make toilet paper too? Cause it seems like everyone wants toilet paper. I don't know what the hell that was. I, it, it, I still don't understand that whole thing. <laughs> you know what I saw? I saw that people, people at that bought for the apocalypse at the big box stores like Costco and stuff. We're taking their surplus toilet paper back a month later, trying to get refunds. And they're like, no, no refunds on toilet paper and on hand sanitizer. And I'm going, you guys, you're kidding me. You went hoarding and then now you have all this extra and now you're trying to get your money back. Suck it up. Give it away. Or, I mean, then there's earlier on, there was people, you know, selling a thing of toilet paper for like 40 bucks on that's just predatory and terrible. It is, but there was that there was that one guy. Oh, I forgot what uh, uh, state he was in, who went and bought up all the hand sanitizer, uh, and he was like stocked it in his garage. And even though it was a dick move, I gotta say that guy's really forward thinking. There, there's something about <laughs> that. It's like everyone shat on him in the in the media, and I'm like, yes, that deserves it. But at the same time, I would put that on my resume if I was going to get a job at a corporation and go, hey. <laughs> See what see what I could do for you people. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think he may he may be a he'll probably be a giant in finance ten years from now. But uh, right, right, and we have a lot of preppers in our in our general area, like people that are super super serious about it, and they stock up on. I mean, they always do this. They're always stocked up on bullets and canned food, and they've got bunkers, and that's a whole different world that i don't even there's so much fear that goes into that like i don't want to live in that kind of fear yeah worried about what's going to happen all the time it's good to be prepared right definitely it's good to be prepared and be smart and have forethought but damn i don't want to like live in a bunker with a bunch of bullets and stacks around me well i mean and the problem with bullets and a bunker is that conflict resolution can happen instantly and be deadly you know can we talk this out can we talk this out I'm a guy that can never have a gun because I, because I have conflict resolution inside myself that I got to deal with, and so you know it's just like I don't want anything near you know I don't want it near me. I can't I, I can't know that I could end it all in an instant. Right, like, right, yeah. It seems like it's it could be courting dark times to bring that into your life. Yeah. The um. Oh, well, I was just going to ask you a question, and I forgot. And we keep this all in. Don't worry about it. This, I, all of my mistakes stay in this. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that at the beginning. I don't edit. We're essentially taped live. Um, 
but the uh, oh, uh, so uh, as the so as far you know, and excuse my ignorance on this, but as far as like the seasons go, when you're living in the when you're living on a farm, do you 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 can you can vegetables and fruits and stuff for when it's winter. How does that work? Oh yeah, so uh, as soon as we start getting uh, fruit and vegetables, we start putting them up. It's like a process you do all throughout the late spring and the summer and then into fall. And then you've got, you know, cases of tomatoes and jams and things like that. And we, we fill our freezer with squash and carrots and peas and, and whatever we can. And I mean, it's not like we, we really need it that much, but it's also like our grocery budget is pretty low in the winter when you're cooking all the stuff that you grew throughout the spring and summer. And it's, it's, that's pretty satisfying to do, to, to can and to freeze and to, and to do all that. It's gotta be, yeah, it it almost feels like, um, how we were talking about like handwriting, you know, first drafts. It's almost like you're putting your hands in the dirt for, um, for just, for life. Uh, just really having a, really having a close relationship with, the seasons with the earth with what the earth grows and like just working with it yeah yeah and especially when you when you don't have a lot of money you see all of that stuff as very important so like when i'm driving through the country and i see a bunch of hay bales that people have like decorative hay bales i'm like damn that's kind of those are like those big round hay bales they're like you know a couple hundred bucks you you start looking at food as as more like an important commodity and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people with their hobby farms with, you know, that's funded by some great job somewhere, but I don't really have that to fall back on. So everything, everything counts as much as you can make it count. And then did you know about farming before you moved out there or did you, or did you have to become a quick study? Absolutely not. No. So I spent my summers as a kid on a farm um, that my grandparents had. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to do this was I really liked that, that lifestyle, but I was a kid and I didn't really learn anything. So coming out here was just, just learning experiences, screwing up, doing things really stupidly, making a lot of mistakes, making yourself look really dumb. And then you slowly learn. I mean, I'm still like, I think any actual real farmer that came and looked at what we're doing would laugh, but you know, you figure things out, you learn how to improvise, learn how to work with what you've got, which is a big part of it. If you don't have a lot of money to spend on things. I mean, I make my money comes from books. It's not like I'm getting rich here. Yeah. It, 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 uh, like tending the land sounds like writing. The, um, the, the, the screwing up, the, the uh, learning from your mistakes, the continuing forward motion. I, I, I think people don't understand how much goes into a, fine, you know, a published novel, how much pain goes into it, people. Are like, oh, I want to write a book. And you're like, yeah. And, yeah, I, I actually teach uh, writing for a living. So, but usually, you know, maybe six months in, they go, Oh my God, this is really hard. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's enjoyable, isn't it? And they're like, not all the time. I'm like, I know, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of sexy. It's like, we have to, if you don't have to do it. Don't do it. There's other ways to live life. But. Yeah. Yeah. There's much easier ways. I mean, if I was doing this for the money, I would be, I would do something else. Oh yeah. No, I, I'd be, I'd be an influencer. I'd be, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how I would influence. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
How they yeah. have like a, a cooking channel or something like that. I don't. I don't even know how that works. I, it's such a different world than. I know. It doesn't make sense to me. It is, and the and these words like influencer and um, what was one I heard the other day, and I'm like, oh my god, that's an actual word. And what's more, even more hilarious is people under 25 think it's a good thing. <laughs> like it's not a good thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I I use social media because I've got to promote my stuff, and I want to see my friends' babies and things like that. But you see, you'll see stuff and be like, oh my god, like you, you like that. Like why? Like why is everybody so excited about that? That one thing, you know, that certain things, and just well, you know, it, there's no accounting for bad taste, I guess. It, it feels like that, you know, when I was when I was a, when I was a younger kid, it was like we were we were fighting against anything like that, uh, anything that you know. Even I still have a hard time, and this is my problem. I have a hard time ask sometimes as asking for money for projects that I'm brought in on. Because I still have it in my head, oh DIY, I got to keep it low. It'll only it'll only have its um it'll only have its value if I actually bring purity into it. And then I'm like, but wait a second, I got a parking ticket and I have to pay for gas. There is there needs to be an exchange, and it's and it, it's uh I talk about this with another friend of mine too because she grew up in the you know DC era punk rock era. And she's uh, doing the same thing as well. We have like meetups where we're just like, we give each other therapy where it's like, it's okay to ask for money. Look how much money you can ask for. We have a skill we've developed for decades. These just, you know, it's, it's all a mind fuck. I don't know what I'm saying. Can you interpret that? I, I know. I, I've got the same problem. I, uh, like, some, so sometimes people will contact me directly and be like, hey, can I order one of your books with PayPal or something? And I'll be like, well, you know, it's like, it's 10 bucks plus $2 of ship, shipping. If that's okay. Like if not, like, and it's like, well, and then they're, they're like, of course it's okay. Cause they're used to buying things like normal human beings do. Or like somebody will owe me money for like a, like a bookstore or something. And I'll be like, can I just maybe like get, take, like take it out and trade or something. They're like, no, we're going to give you your check. Like, and I don't even know if I want the trade. It's just like, you feel guilty being in that world. And, but that world is, essential because you've got everybody's got rents and medical bills and yeah yeah it blows my mind I, I i don't know what i don't know what it is about that the personality that you know i have that it seems like that we might be from the same uh the same culture but yeah it's, it, it just it blows my mind where you know what are we going to do we're going to starve to death and <laughs> someone else is getting money for you know stuff we put out there and then we're going to say no when they want to write us a check it's yeah and i love the whole trade idea i don't know if you um remember maximum rock and roll magazine that used to come out i used to i used to get that like the bible and mostly for the classifieds in the back so i can like get tape the the vhs tape trading of live bands and i just remember just how glorious that was to get these like rare things it's all on youtube now but back then it's just like in order to watch that you had to buy or trade it with someone and you waited for that video cassette to come in the mail, popped it in, invited your friends over, and you, you watched the birthday party. And you're just like, oh, my God, this doesn't get broadcast anywhere. It's, I don't know if yeah. you have that experience or not. I'm not, not, to, not to the degree of, like, taping stuff, but I'm, I still 
I mean, I still, I still love the the idea of trade. It doesn't really work out in the way of paying rent. But if I if I know somebody that like wants one of my things and I like one of the things they're doing, it's I, I feel great about trading. I yeah, I love that too. I do that often with books, if I can, especially on tour, and especially if like I'm touring with with bands, then it's like one of the greatest things to be like, well, you don't have to buy my stupid stuff. You, let's let me have one of your seven inches, and you can have a book, and and I love that. Then you come home with a big suitcase, tour suitcase full of stuff, t-shirts and band seven inches and tapes and stuff. I love that. And then you really cherish that stuff. That's what I was thinking. It, it feels, it feels more important because it's an experience you shared. I kind of, I've done that where I've, if I do readings with other people and then I just bring my books and we trade books and I have these books from these people that I've had an experience with that I'm going to have more of an experience reading their book and just going, you know, we had that, we had that night together. We had that panel together and it's, it's just so exciting that, you know, sometimes I'm just like, how did I get on a panel with someone I'm, I'm a huge fan of? How does this happen? And I'm just like, cool. It's, <laughs> I, have you, um, have you like uh, through this process, have you like, has there been times where you like met some of your heroes and are just like, what am I doing in your presence? Do you ever have that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, sometimes it's not so great, but yeah, yeah. But then, then you start working with people that you've always loved, and then they just become friends. I've definitely had that experience too, where somebody you looked up to all your life, and all of a sudden, like you're do, you're actually doing something with them, or recording something with them, or releasing something on their label, or yeah, doing a tour with them, and it's like, wow, this is actually happening. That's and, cool. Yeah, and then you, and then, um, and then I love the part in the in the uh, in the weird creative process where you like you get to meet someone that you've known for years because they're like have a certain amount of fame and then and then it's just like you're working with them and then all of a sudden you're like really working with them and you're pissed at them for something and there's conflict and there's all this stuff and then you're like well wait a second i used to have your poster on my wall but now we're <laughs> but now we're really digging in and now i know what now i know what your bad mood is and, you know and then you especially on tour you get to know everyone or even like on a film production you get to know everyone's time for their bowel movements, right? It's just like <laughs> weird, weird things that you don't think about. It's just like, you know, oh, okay. So that's, you, it, you get so enmeshed, especially if you're working on something with intensity like a tour. And you hope it works out because then you, so every once in a while I've had bad experiences. I mean, I'm not going to name any names or anything, but like with people that I really looked up to growing up and we worked together and it was terrible. And then you go home and you've got this stack of like records and you're like, am I ever going to listen to these anymore or the, or books? And you're like, do I, should I just throw these in the river? <laughs> That's a bad feeling. Hopefully it doesn't happen very often, but you know, it's going to happen. I I've had the same experience and yes, I've thrown, I've thrown things. Um, you know, it's like books or whatever, just people who like are really, really not good people. I don't mind conflicts. I don't mind, you know, it's working that out, but people who are like, kind of sociopaths and you're like oh my god stay off of my stay off of my plane i will make sure that book gets thrown into the recycling bin and or, or whatever we worked on uh, they worked on and it's just like and nobody else can see it either because i don't want to give anyone else that energy <laughs> it's like just get it get it off the uh off the um off of my off of my earth <laughs> absolutely yeah i've i've had a few things happen you know the last few years with people like that and it's just oh it's horrible it's horrible they're just poisonous <laughs> and it's hard because it's like 
they then I don't understand why they take up more brain space when there's the great P, you know, I got to keep going back to the gratitude of wait a second. These people need to take up more brain space for me because they are the ones that are, you know, their, their soul is in it and their heart is in it. And, you know, we, you know, we do, we do, th- we do shitty things to each other. And then we're just like, Oh fuck, we shouldn't have done that and come back closer. Those are the people that need the biggest part of the mind, not the ones that are, you know, taking it, taking the fucking things up on monumentally, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a weird curse of humanity where we sort of remember the, nightmares more than the dream the good dreams right it right. shouldn't be that way we should yeah. be able to be like oh we're going to push this in the corner and remember all the great things that happened today but then this one little tiny thing that that happened to us it haunts us for months yes I hate that i mean i hate that it's the worst yeah and, it, and it's and it's like trying to steer back to like okay the good people in my life let me visualize them let me give them a call let me let me let me get back some of that positive energy. And I, I don't know if it's the time we're in, if, if we have such access to so much absurdity uh, that maybe back, you know, cause it's hard for me to even remember a time before the internet, but I was around and I don't know if um, those things plagued me as much or if I was just younger and blew them off easier. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think maybe we've had a lot more experiences since the internet has happened that, piled up but yeah this does seem like more of a thing that's happened post like 2000 or 2001 or 1999 or i don't know i mean especially since social media that's like i mean that's the the whole like internet part too and i remember having the internet like in like the mid 2000s and not doing any i mean not going online ever not checking my email and now it's just like it's there it's it's like it's in the room with you all the time yeah, and you gotta find ways to have it not be in the room with you, which is hard. It's crazy. And there used to be a time when, um, back when I was young, when I wasn't sure if I could afford an answering machine, so I just waited on it. And then if people called, they if I was home, they got me. If I wasn't home, it would just ring. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's so weird. I, I remember like I remember that that whole thing too. And just like if you're not gonna get in touch with me, you're. I guess we'll figure it out at some point yeah we will see each other in the street exactly and there was and there was no knowing nothing else it was just so beautiful it's like i wish shelter in place came with a blowing up of twitter and facebook if we could have blew blew up twitter and facebook i think humanity might get to a better place i think um i i think keeping other you know keeping that uh level of uh shitting on other people because i don't it, it's, I mean, <laughs> I'm going on a, I'm going on my own rant here. I, it's coming out of me. I'm sorry, Adam. But the, the, um, we, on social media, it's like 90% let's shit on somebody. Uh, 7%, this is my great life. And you know, it's not. And then maybe, and I don't know what the 3% is, but none of it feels really, um, none of it feels positive and forward moving, moving on, on any level. It feels like we're de-evolutionizing. We're Devo. We are. Devo. Yeah, we're living living Devo's worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I as much as I say, like, well, it's it's the internet's a tool, and you should use it for like the things that you should use it for. I still find myself. We don't. We can't get the internet where we live, but I, of course, I've got my phone. You know, and so I can't use a computer very often. But uh, I find myself using it too much more than I more than I would 
like to believe that I, I as a person would, would use it and looking at the same shit over and over again. I just hate it. I, and I got to tell you, if, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for social media, um, Kevin from Powell's Books posted about your book. And I was like, oh, my God. And that's how I found out about you. So here's a great thing about social media is I got to read your work and then get in touch with you and talk to you about it on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I owe like pretty much every bit of my career to some aspect of the Internet because, I mean, I've, I didn't really start releasing stuff until after the Internet was like was going full steam. It wasn't it wasn't as like social media wasn't as, as crazy it was now, but like I, my first record came out in, I mean, I put, was putting it out by myself and no one was, no one knew they were coming out. They were just like in my house as a kid. Yeah. But like my first one came out in 2005 and I got, I was able to get tours through the internet and reviews led to me getting record deals and like it all. And I've met great friends that have now become r real friends that I would die for. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's a really weird thing to be like, oh, this terrible thing. But then you're like, well, shit, man. So many great things in my life are have happened to me because of this. Or wonderful people that I've met. Or it just it, it, things that I've been lucky enough to experience through like tours and you know being able to travel for whatever reason because you have a release out. I, I feel like everything I've said has a counterpoint with uh, when we've been talking. Where I'm like, no, wait, I'm wrong about that again. And, and now I feel like my position has been boomeranged maybe six times in the last 40 minutes. <laughs> oral storytelling, right? Is this part of the oral? Yeah, contradictions. Yeah. We are, we are, we're, humans are crazy contradictory. And you look at anything you do and you can find some other reaction inside you coming out. Especially if you have any little bit of contrarianism in you, which I have too much. Yeah. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Adam Gennady on Drinks with Tony. Check out his latest novel. This is the end of something, but it's not the end of you. And his other book, The Do-It-Yourself Guide to the Big Motherfucking Sad. Thanks for listening. And if you're interested, I'm teaching screenwriting online next quarter at UCLA Extension. Go to uclaextension.edu and search for Duchesne to sign up. Hey, have a great week. I will see you next Wednesday.